You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com sermons. Good morning. Good to see everyone. Today we're going to be talking about one of the grand and joyous aspects of New Testament worship. So as you see on the board, we're obviously going to start in Zechariah. Actually, nearly everything we find of importance uh, and of great hope and comfort in the New Testament is prophesied for us in the Old. And so we began with one of the prophecies. We'll see there'll be a number of them in this regard. Zechariah 2, it says, beginning in verse 10, Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Jerusalem. For behold, I am coming and will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. Clearly a prophecy of the times of the Messiah. He is coming and will be in our midst. Nations will join themselves to the Lord and be the people of God. God will dwell in our midst and we will know that the Lord of hosts is one behind this and who has sent the one who will cause this to be. This is so obviously messianic. We understand this to be about Jesus. And we know know that so many of the prophecies of Jesus and the coming time, from the perspective of the Old Testament, these things are fulfilled and met in the new. So sing for joy and be glad. Earlier this week, I spoke... With a friend of mine, he's in uh, ministry, he preaches in another state. We were talking about the uh, restrictions we've had because of the pandemic and the problems that these things have caused. And honestly, compared to the vast majority of our brethren, we have been so little affected compared to so many. But we still have had a number of things that we had to adapt to and to steer around. And uh, some of our dear friends and other places, we talked about our, well, we talked about our dear friends out in California. Uh, some of them still under massive amounts of restrictions. So much so that in some congregations, sizable portions of brethren and congregations have or are considering moving out of state to uh, get away from the things happening there. And so we talked also about the times that we were unable to meet and the joy it was, even after such a short suspension of the meeting, that we could come back and and we could be together again. And the seeing of one another and the singing together with one another, and of course that's one of the things in some places has been specifically curtailed and people are fighting against those restrictions. But the meeting and the singing, such a a, a marvelous thing to have uh, restored when they were restored to us. And I told him about the only thing I could think of to compare it to and it was, a, it was a weak comparison, but I couldn't do any better, was to compare it to uh, people who really love Christmas music 
finally getting to go to a Christmas concert. And, and uh, now maybe you're like me. Uh, may, I just love Christmas music. I, I love it more as I grow older. This week the temperature has dropped below 50 degrees. I believe that is a sign that it is okay to start uh, playing the Christmas carol playlist. Now, so at this point, some of you are welcoming again the social distancing and the isolation. And, okay, that's fine by you. But, but a, a really good uh, Christmas concert. It's the best music. So it's, it's the best composers. It is by far the best theme on which to write music. And the best Christmas concerts always have parts where the audience gets to sing along. And one of the reasons why, then I think that Christmas music is so enjoyable and those type of performances uh, are looked forward to uh, for, for the year until they come. And then they're uh, so appreciated when they come. Is, you know, it's about as close as our secular society has, for many people, to a worship service. And so, you know, one of the things we get to do is we get to go to a Christmas concert. And I mean that in the good and the best sense. We get to go to a Christmas concert every week. We get to sing these songs of praise. Uh, we get to uh, enjoy one another's company. We get to, <clears throat> to uh, think about this grand and great theme that we have. And so it's not that the church is a copy of the Christmas concert, but the Christmas concert is a, is a copy of the divine service. And so we get to be at the place and time where we get to sing for joy and be glad. And that's one of the terrible things that that when we were restricted from meeting that we missed so very much and that some people are still suffering under those restrictions. And so we certainly want to keep them in our minds and our prayers. But notice this again, sing for joy and be glad. Why? I'm coming. He's coming. He's coming. I I remember another song we used to sing when when, uh, 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 I was a child. We sang, uh, she'll be coming around the mountains. And when she came around the mountain and came to us, what would happen? Oh, we'd sing and dance. And we'd have chicken and dumpling. Oh, well, okay. Well, one of my favorite things. I'm letting you know all my favorite things today. If you're making a list for my birthday, chicken and dumpling, that's on the list. But, but when she came around the mountain and she got to be there with us, it would just be a celebration and with all the best things. And so here he comes. He's coming. And the best thing, verse 10, I will dwell in your midst and all will be invited the nations will join themselves to the lord and they get to be my people too and i'll be in your midst again verse 11 says and you'll know that i have been sent by the lord of hosts he will choose to be with his people and he will again choose jerusalem but for those people who aren't part of this notice verse 13 as the people of god sing for joy verse 13 be silent all flesh the rest of the world, y'all just sit there and watch. Sit and watch and amazed. Be amazed. If you want to come join us now, you can come join us. But if you're not going to come join us, just hush and stay out. And so here is this great promise that the Lord will be in his holy habitation, verse 13. And he will be with his people. Well, that's the prophecy. What's the reality? Well, it should be. A continual singing. Our gospel time should be a continual time of songs of joy. Again, the many prophecies. I, uh, Romans 15, after uh, Romans 14, and it's the first really 12 verses or so of chapter 15 in the same topic. 
where we accept one another, not to judge one another, but to accept one another uh, in the Lord. It says this, Romans 15, 8, to conclude the whole section. It says, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given the fathers. And so Christ came in fulfillment of all the prophecies. And so not just he's come for the circumcision, he's come for the uncircumcision. And for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. There's our part in the plan. We come in and glorify God for his mercy. So as it's written, therefore I will give praise to thee among the Gentiles. And I'll sing, I will sing your name. That's Psalm 18. And again, he says, verse 10 of Romans 15, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That's Deuteronomy 32. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. That's Psalm 117. Paul could have just as well have quoted what we read to begin with Zechariah or others. Prophecy after prophecy, Jew and Gentile working together, accepting one another in the church. The Apostle Paul says, well, that's only what God said he'd do. And so why would you be surprised now that he's done it? And so accept one another. But again, how is it that we see this acceptance given? How is it that we have the tokens of this acceptance of God by all these people? He has them all sing his praise. We're all Jew and Gentile in the book of Romans singing, singing the same song. We're singing from the same book. We're singing the same thing. And so it's prophesied in Zechariah, as we read. It's prophesied here in the Psalms and in Deuteronomy. And Paul quoted in Romans, as it's being practically done, that we are singing praise to God. And so every week, it's our Christmas concert. Or every week, it's our resurrection concert. Every week, it's our time to sing the praise of God. This is what we find in the assembly. When instructions were given in 1 Corinthians 15, because some of the folks there were misusing various gifts of God, and they had a very disruptive, and they had a not very harmonious assembly, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 as well, he gives instructions about how the church should conduct themselves when they were together. He especially addresses the use of tongues, and the gift of tongues. But beyond that, we find these other things. So we had, t- we had talking, we had teaching. And, well, what are we doing now? We're having the teaching part of the assembly. But that wasn't the all, all of the assembly. There was also this, Romans 14, 15. What is the outcome then? I shall pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. And I shall sing with the Spirit, and I shall sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how is the one who fills the place of the ungifted going to say amen at your giving of thanks, since he doesn't know what you're saying? For you're giving thanks well enough, but the other is not edified. Give some other instruction about how many to speak and and who to speak and the like, and, and why this speaking is to be intelligible. And then again, down in verse 26, after that, he says, what is the outcome? So here's our conclusion. What's the outcome, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for the edifying, for edification. And so here we find the use of hymns, of psalms, 
in the assembly. And so they're to be done in an edifying way. And the whole chapter, uh, we can sort of summarize with that famous phrase from this chapter, of decent, decently and in order. And so we've done that today. We've sung in a decently and in order way. Perry called the number and we all turned to that one, didn't we? So it would all be on the same psalm. And so we have in the assembly the instruction that we have this edifying psalms, these edifying hymns. And so, when we come together in the church, what do we do? We, as it was prophesied, in a way that is helpful to others, a way that is glorious to God, we sing praise. We also, in this, we find, we teach and instruct. We edify and encourage. And so, as we go, very often, as we go from service, and you won't hurt my feelings here by answering honestly, uh, you'll hurt the Lord's feelings if you don't answer honestly. But just, uh, just think about this. As you leave, what words repeat over and over in your mind as you drive home? Do you find yourself repeating some of, of the salient words and the great eloquent things that the preacher has said? I hope, maybe. Does that happen occasionally? Or do you go home humming the song, one of the songs that we sang? As you take the name of Jesus with you, which words are you usually taking? Well, there's something about singing, there's something about melody that makes uh, these things just imminently more memorable. And it's just driven into the mind in a different way, and, and they, they, just, they persist there in a different way. And, and I recall uh, as a youth, I felt this way, and I've seen it in training of youth, and you just try to get youth to appreciate poetry. Oh. <laughs> okay. But how many of those same youth, you turn the radio on, and they know all the lyrics. They know all the words, right? And sometimes they know these unbelievably complicated words. And, and, and these things that are, well, they're poetry, but poetry to music. And so we teach and edify in this, and we do this in a way that it, we take it with us, and, and we more often readily call it to heart, and we have these, these words and phrases come back to us. They're the same in content as what the preacher said, right? But why is it that we remember them so much more readily? Because we've sung them in our hearts and we've sung them to each other. And so our, our, our songs, we should choose good scriptural and doctrinal songs. Now also, give, give the hymn writer a bit of poetic license, uh, I've known that guy, and you have too, who says, well, actually, this word should be this if we want to be more scriptural in our singing. Okay, a little poetic license, please. Now, that doesn't excuse um, uh, saying, uh, you, you know, there are some songs that are just not scriptural. They're not scriptural in their content. I think we should avoid them. Uh, I don't, uh, with this book, I almost never see something that's like, ah, we shouldn't sing that. I've had some other books in my life, in my places of worship, where it's like, ah, I don't want to sing those words. Um, and then sometimes there are those who go uh, to messing with the words that the author uh, has written. Now, not that we shouldn't ever do that, or that, you know, it's not scripture, right? It's not scripture that, because scripture, well, what do you think when somebody change, says, well, I think this verse should read this. Ooh. But what if somebody says, I think this verse of this song should read this? Well, okay, let's consider it, but... but you, you probably met the type who do that a lot. And, and, 
Now, I don't think that's the right way to go it, but we do have to uh, see what it is we're teaching. And there are times when the song leader will ask the preacher, hey, do you have any songs you think will go to with today's lesson? And it'll be more of a theme. Or the preacher will say to the song leader, hey, could you lead this song or that song for me? It goes well with what I'm teaching because it is a, there is a teaching content. There is a teaching content to every song. It's important, as we saw in these prophecies, that the Gentiles were singing praise to God. I mean, just at its most obvious uh, and, and, uh, and really almost to the point of ridiculous, uh, what if the Gentiles were in the church singing the praise to Zeus? Well, no, that wouldn't fly. So content matters. Content matters. It is to edify and encourage, as the scriptures say. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So there's a teaching and admonishing in every song. In Ephesians 5, 19, the same thing in a little different wording. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So it is a heartfelt action here. It is words we take to heart often, and this is why we, uh, as parents, don't we, uh, and, and, and don't we uh, look at the content of the songs that the children are listening to because they'll take that content to heart. I think it was far back as Plato, wasn't it? He who controls the music or the song controls the nation. Uh, Matt might correct me if I'm wrong on that one, if, if he's. Uh, remembers that or has read that part. But uh, anyway, we'll note that this edifying and encouraging section is uh, always uh, uh, in song. It's always with praise. And so this, this is an important part of the content. And this is a part that sometimes we don't get so much uh, from the instruction uh, from the from like the, the instruction that I'm doing now, uh, the reading and exhortation, it's not always praise based. That is one nice thing about songs, and I think it's one reason why we enjoy that part of the, the service so immensely, because it it is praise to God, and that should be a part of our prayers. That should be a part, and certainly uh, the, the thanksgivings that we we give with the Lord's Supper and that bit of instruction and those prayers. Uh, and the other things that we do in worship, it's always to be heavy on praise. I think sometimes maybe, and, and I'll say, you know, hey, this is my part, and, and if there's a failing, it's mine, that there's not enough praise coming in the instructional part. But in the, in the, in the hymn part, there we, we, we always find the, the, uh, the praise first and foremost. And so, so many of our songs are songs of praise, even as they teach and instruct. And so let's make sure, as the scripture does, we appreciate this section of and part of, of the singing. So Acts 16, 25, about midnight, uh, Paul and Silas were praying and singing uh, hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And so uh, you just go back to you know, the, the part of the scripture that is our inspired songbook the book of Psalms, and certainly there's lots of instruction there, but in every one of the Psalms, and if it's Psalms they were singing, what would there always be? 
There would be praise. And, and honestly, I can't think of any song that we sing that doesn't have this praise component to it. And so this is our constant thing. This is what we do. And singing is a good bit of how we do it. In Hebrews 13, there's also this. Hebrews 13, verse uh, 15. Through him then, let us always or continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is by the fruit of lips, giving thanks to his name. So in Ephesians, we saw it's from the heart. And here we see it's by our lips that we give thanks to his name. And then it throws in another thing. It says, and do not neglect doing good and sharing. And then it says about all of these things, that would be the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips, and the doing good and sharing. With such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So God is well pleased when we share with others, when we do good with others, when we follow the golden rule, and when we are sharing as the Lord shared with us, he's well pleased. But also, when our lips give thanks to him, God is well pleased. Going again, as we read a while ago from Romans 15, reading that one again, Romans 15, 9, it says, the Gentiles will glorify God for his mercy, for it is written, I will give praise to thee among the Gentiles, and I will sing to thy name. I'll give praise, and I will sing. And what we find is it's prophesied to the degree that even Jesus participates and does this uh, with us. So we have that Hebrews uh, 2 passage on the praise part, but also the part where it prophesies that Jesus will do it with us. Read Hebrews 2 with me, verses 11 and 12. Talking again about sacrifices. It says, both he who sacrifices and those who are sacrificed are from one father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So Jesus is not ashamed to be called our brother. Jesus is not ashamed of us. Now sometimes, like Peter when he denied Jesus, we might act as if we're ashamed of the Lord, but of the brethren, and i got to say among the brethren, uh, don't you know something? Uh, man, Jesus is going to be ashamed of them, isn't he? Well, it says he's not ashamed to be our brother. He knows we have weaknesses and he helps us in them, but he's not ashamed of us, and that's a great blessing. And then quoting again the, 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 the Psalms, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing thy praise. And so Jesus, by this prophecy, is here singing with us. I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing thy praise. We think about the uh, promise that we take Uh, So much comfort in, where two or three are gathered, there I am with you. And so how many times do we think about Jesus is with us? Or Jesus said about the Lord's Supper, and we, we at the Lord's Supper talk, we might mention this on a regular basis. That Jesus said, I won't take the fruit of the vine again until I take it new in the kingdom. And what do we apply that to? His spiritual presence with us at the Lord's Supper. Is Jesus present with us at the Lord's Supper? Why, we all say that he is, and we know that he is. Now, we don't take a Catholic view of transubstantiation or Lutheran view of consubstantiation, constantubstantiation, where he is literally with us in these elements, but that he is with us spiritually as we take these 
uh, symbols. And so we'll talk about Jesus taking the Lord's Supper with us. And I think that's a right way to view it. And we'll talk about Jesus and our various activities as being with us. And again, that's a right way to view it. But also from this one, and I don't know why we don't give this one the same amount of attention. He says, by the prophecy, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. And in the midst of the congregation, I'll sing your praise. Well, I don't recall a literal fulfillment of that at any time. Where's a literal fulfillment of Jesus praising God in the congregation? No, the congregation of which the Hebrew writer is is saying has come by prophecy is that congregation of the church. Now, yes, Jesus, like, and again, this is Matthew 26. I say to you, I will not drink this fruit of the vine until now when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We can see how that he's spiritually taking the Lord's Supper with us. But brethren, he's also spiritually singing with us. To the same degree and in the same way. Of course, there in Matthew 26, then with them after having done that, he sang a song, he sang a hymn, and went with them out to the Mount of Olives. But that's not the whole congregation. That is not the subject of the prophecy. But what did our Lord and Savior do with his people? He sang with them. What does he do spiritually now with us? As much as we take the Lord's Supper spiritually with us, we take, we, we take him uh, with singing with us as well. And so that's why I think, and I think it's one of the reasons why we have uh, no, um, we don't have uh, instrumental music in the New Testament church. Uh, it's not because instrumental music was unknown. Uh, it was in the temple every day. Every time, they, every time Jesus or the apostles went by the temple, there was somebody down there strumming on something, blowing into something, banging on something. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way, but because they had the best musicians down there possible. They really did. But they were all down there at the temple, and that was known. And they had, they, they had uh, music in the community. Uh, there they were those who uh, played the, the pipe and the lyre and asked people to, uh, when they did the dirge, uh, that they would mourn. And they, when, they, when they sang the song of praise, they would dance. And in Revelation 18, it talks about uh, when that, that society fell. It mentions the musicians, the flute players, and the trumpet players will not be heard any longer. They they knew that society has music and music with instruments. Or in 1 Corinthians 14, again, talking about the the need to be distinct and to have a a message that can be clearly understood. It talks about there the, the flute and the harp and eventually the bugle as well as instruments that, that made a sound that sound like the flute and the harp and the bugle. And the bugle makes a call, and you know when the call is, is, is made what to make. And uh, you know from the flute and the harp what kind of music they're playing and what the mood is being set. They lived in a society that had music as much as we do in, of instruments, but what's really stressed for the church is that we are to be, by the prophecy and by the instruction of the New Testament to the churches, we're to be the living instruments. And this is our role, to be these living instruments just as much as we are a temple of living stones and just as much as in Romans 12 we are to be lives that are uh, illustrated as living sacrifices. You know, we have, like the Hebrew writer said, a new and living way. How big a thing in the New Testament is this this thread of living 
right? He is our life. We have life through him. He gives us life, eternal life, life and life more abundantly. How big a threat is the living in the gospel? The living. What are we? The living stones, the living sacrifices. And brethren, we are to be very much the living instruments. We are to be these living instruments for God. And you think about it, even in, in, in the best of our secular music. Well, some of it's not quite as secular as we uh, sometimes think. But, but the best of our secular music, we think about like the, the, the moving things that Beethoven wrote. But there's something special about his Ninth Symphony, the Fifth Movement. It's called the Choral Symphony. We know that section is the Ode to Joy. It's the part where he brings out the choir. You know, when, when you want something special, what do you do? You bring out the choir. Now, I know Tchaikovsky, he brought out the cannons, right? He, they literally played cannons as, as their musical instruments in the 1812 overture. But there are sometimes when you need to do more than just, you know, the, 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 then the trumpets and the tubas and the, and the horns and the, and the timpani and the, and the, and the, the fiddles, uh, violin, sorry. You need to do more than they can provide, and so sometimes, like Tchaikovsky, you bring out the church bells and the cannons. But most of the time, you bring out the chorus. Because the chorus just adds something all the more to it. So I've heard Ode to Joy in an instrumental fashion. It's nothing like when you got the chorus out there. Same thing as well uh, in uh, Handel's Messiah. It's, it's not really Handel's Messiah until the chorus gets going. And it's not really songs of praise to God until you get the people singing. And so, for us as Christians, it is this idea that we are the instrument. That it is our heart and our lips that are the thing to praise God. Ephesians 5.19, we again speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody with our hearts. And again, that Bible heart is not just the seat of emotion. Often it's the seat of intellect. Uh, but what do we find back when we read a while ago in 1 Corinthians 14? We sing with the spirit and we sing with the mind. And so when we have the mind, when we have the thoughts and the emotions, we have it all working together uh, from a life that is a sacrificial life, a living sacrifice to God, such as, again, Ephesians, uh, Hebrews, pardon, Hebrews 13, 15, we already read that we are to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips giving thanks to his name. With this, God is well pleased. We find that that kind of knowledgeable, thoughtful, uh, just mindful, spiritual worship, this is more than the organ can provide. And I am an appreciation I have a great appreciation for the pipe organ. <laughs> when they play that thing and it rattles the seats you're in, I, that's, there, there's something there that you don't get other places. But the, no matter how large and how deep and how you know, actually literally vibrant the pipe organ is, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't trump the heart. And the symphony orchestra, no matter how large or how talented, or especially the praise band, no matter how much they jack up the amplification, those instruments do not compare with the true praise given 
from the mindful and thoughtful heart. It's interesting to me that the prophecy that we started with, and and this is true of all the prophecies that I've ever found of singing and of music and praise to God in the New Testament, the prophecies given at a time when God's people were worshiping with instruments, and they were, by God's instruction, by the command of David, by his ordinance that he set up, and with God's approval, at a time when they were worshiping in that way, every prophecy about the forward times, the, the coming times, it's all, it all drops that to just singing. It, it does. None, none of the prophecies in a time of instrumental music foresee instrumental music when, when, when the Messiah comes. So again, it was sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Jerusalem, because I am with you. It didn't say get the band together. It said get you all together and sing. And so what was prophesied? Sing for joy and be glad. And what are we instructed? If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. And if anyone is cheerful, let him sing praises. And so the prophecy and the instruction are the same. Sing the praise of God. I do have to say, we've said some words that go against the practice of using instrumental music. And I think we shouldn't use those things. I think we should, from time to time, remind ourselves why we do without them. But if we just congratulate ourselves, well, hey, we sang today without music, without instrumental music. But if we sang lifelessly, if we sang joylessly, if we sang mechanically, even though it was, yeah, it was from the heart, it was from our own lips, but not with our spirit and mind behind it. We haven't fulfilled this passage any more than the guy that strikes up the whole band. And so, no, it's sing for joy. It's sing because you're cheerful. What's the one hymn we sing? I sing because I'm happy. Well, then why doesn't that make a happy sound? Why does it sound like we're, we're singing along drearily? No, with all that we have in Christ, the only appropriate response is to knowledgeably and mindfully and with great joy and cheer sing his praise. With all those others, going to Romans, the Jew and Gentile together, with all those others who share the same faith. And so let us sing for joy and be glad. With that, then we'll close this morning. Hope that you have the song of Christ in your heart. Whichever lyrics toward that end you uh, remember and sing along with as you go. Hope you have that song in your heart and hope you join joyfully and gladly and cheerfully with the brethren when we sing our announced songs together. Let us never think, well, here we go again. It's time to do that. No, the prophecy said this is what we get to do because so much has been given and so much has been blessed to us in Christ. And this is the only response And it's one that God is well pleased with. If you need to come this morning then to Christ. So you can join in this full heartedly and full throated. If you need to come uh, to him. Or you have things that that inhibit you from doing this. Because of uh, pains of conscience and guilt and sin. If you need to come confess those to be restored. We offer the invitations we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.